What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Av Geek Chronicles. We got a very special episode today. We are starting a new show called Ask the Av Geek Show. And I'm super excited about this. I can't wait to to bring on a lot of different guests on here um, and give you know give the audience an understanding of the people in aviation and the things that they're doing and what they're trying to do uh, to make this space even better uh, for future generations to come. So I'm super excited about my first guest uh, today. I have my good friend Eli Malloy from Longhorn Helicopters. How you doing, Eli? Yo. Um, a crazy thing about, you know, Eli and I, we've, man, it was probably, I don't know, we met a little over a year ago. We, uh, we met while we were working at Bell Helicopter, now called Bell Flight. Um, but ever since then, uh, I was working in commercial marketing. He was up in, uh, commercial, uh, spares, spare sales, CSS, uh, customers, what was it? Customer support and services. Uh, yeah, that's it. Now it's all one, uh, one team. So that no longer exists, but from that from the start, Eli and I, we, we created a little nice relationship going and decided to start his own business. And I was like, man, this is pretty cool what he's doing. I said, I want to help out, you know, not getting paid or anything. I just, I love what he's doing. And so, uh, we gotta, we gotta push this forward. So I'm really excited, uh, to have Eli here on the first episode of ask the Av Geek show. Uh, so Eli, tell all the listeners how young you are, uh, where you're from, uh, and just give a little, uh, little introduction about yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm 25, just turned 25 in February and, uh, from Kentucky originally and moved to Texas about three years ago to be at Bell. So originally from Kentucky, I started all my stuff there in Kentucky and I worked in Ohio for a little while and ended up coming out here to, uh, to Texas. So a little background, kind of a 40,000 foot overview of all this is, um, started all my training and all that stuff by chance back home in Kentucky and just kind of fumbled through everything. And the more I did it, the more I learned, the more I experienced, the more people I meet. And then, uh, graduated college on a quick fast forward here made zero money after college you know i had three jobs just affording me time to fly i knew that i enjoyed doing it and so i would just kind of do whatever it took to keep my schedule open so that i could go and do it every now and then ended up stringing myself along and making like zero cash and then i ended up finding a job at bell and got out here and took a chance and uh, had no idea what the job entailed and moved out to Texas, no friends or family, just kind of started over and, um, you know, fast forward there, did a little over a year at Bell and met some cool people and here I am now, I've been flying all throughout that and now I work at a local helicopter company here in Fort Worth that does a variety of things and, um, and my role here is uh, business development and um, I contribute as a pilot daily, so. So before we talk about your business um and not just the small business that you started and it turned into what it is now but go back all the way to to when you started uh you, when your love of aviation came about who who was a huge influence uh maybe it was one person maybe it was multiple people um and how how do they still today have an impact on uh on what you do you know dude this is gonna be this is gonna be like probably the the odd, you know, the black sheep here. I have zero 
mutual introductions into the aviation industry. I had nobody. My dad was in the coal mining industry. And my mom was a nurse who went back to school after she raised us. And I grew up just normal high school, you know, playing sports and, you know, did pretty good in school and went to college and I had no track. I was just in business. I knew that I enjoyed being around people. So I was just going to do business, whatever that meant. And so my parents didn't like that very much. They wanted me to choose a more specific route, you know, vocation or something to work towards instead of just floating around. And I got into it because she works in the hospital floor where the hospital or the helicopters come in and out. She was like, you need to be a nurse. You know, you'd be a male nurse because a nurse, a nurse. Yeah. Also known as a nurse. So I could get a job anywhere. I get paid well, I can travel, you know, whatever. And then take it beyond that. You should, you should be a flight nurse. You know, that'd be cool. You can be flying the helicopters, you, you know, super cool, high adrenaline. It's intense. Yeah, whatever. So I was looking at it and I was like, ah, eh, you know, I don't know if I could do the blood and the medicine, you know, but the helicopters seem interesting. You know, at this point I was just listening to conversation and I didn't even, I was never even at the hospital looking at the helicopters. I just was listening to my mom who also knew nothing about the industry. And so my freshman year at college, I went to Georgetown college and in the latter half of the year, I was not really having a great time. I was deciding that I might want to transfer schools. It was kind of floating around there, real lost. And uh, remember sitting in this little common area and uh, just deciding that I was going to start researching flight schools, you know, just totally random. And uh, ended up coming across this dude who had a helicopter in Georgetown, the city I was at, just up the street, who flew, uh, who was a radio show host there in the city and who uh, was a former pilot for the police department that had a helicopter there and he did flight training. So I called my mom and I was like, hey, I'm scheduling a flight that's like a couple hundred bucks. I'm gonna go try it out. And so it was over summer, it was July of 2012. I think 2011, 2012, July 2012. And um, I remember the day specifically, I had no idea. I went and visited my buddies, Mark and Matt at their local apartment complex in Georgetown, Kentucky. Uh, hung out for a little bit, told them I was going to the airport to fly in the helicopter. It was super cool. Nobody knew anything about it. And I just showed up at the airport, met uh, a guy named Patrick Helm, who was my first flight instructor. And he gave me an introductory flight. And uh, it was the coolest shit I've ever done in my life. I remember as soon as we lifted off the ground, uh, it was like the coolest thing. And that's the only thing that I really remember specifically about when I first started was I know the feeling when it first happened I just thought it was unique you know for some reason I've always been this way but going against the grain you know whatever blaze your own trail whatever etc so on and I just remember that that feeling when we first lifted off it was as far away from anything that I've ever been taught or shown or you know um, exposed to and it was cool you know, and so it just stuck immediately. And I, I tell people all the time, you know, that there are so many things in life that, um, and cut me off at any second because I could rant about this forever. But there <laughs> are so many stuff. things. There are so many things in life that, you know, I was going through college and it was just like I feel like it was just passing me by, right? Life was just passing by. 
and nothing was sticking. I felt like I was like slotting down a hill and I couldn't grab anything. And as soon as I went and flew, it was like it just smacked me in the face. And I was like, this is cool shit. And it was like some force out there was like, you need to do this again. Stick with that. You were having that epiphany that was like, right? This is. It was the only thing that really stuck with me, like a bug on a windshield. And so I just kept doing it. And I called my parents, told them how fun it was, and I wanted to do it. And they were like, all right, well, you know, let me remind you, dad's a coal miner. You know, not anymore. He doesn't get in the coal mine, but he is getting coal mining. And mom's nurse, they have no idea, you know? So they were like, yeah, it's kind of scary, but go for it, you know? So, you know, and it's really funny because two two episodes ago, I talked about uh, if you if you're unsure about the aviation world and you want to kind of just dip your toe into it, I said one of the most important things that you can do is you can just go out and take a discovery flight. And it sounds like from what you're saying is for anybody who's out there, whether they're interested in the airlines or mm-hmm. bush flying or whatever flying, you know, helicopters, is just get out there, Dude, find somebody, and take a discovery flight. Fuck it. Do it like it's, and that's the, uh, and we'll talk about this later. But this is, this is the one. This is my priority. The, the one thing that I enjoy the most about what I do right now, is giving people that opportunity that I was given. Whether you have any interest in becoming a pilot or not, that first flight is the coolest thing you'll ever do. And I am rebranding that experience to hopefully make it more accessible for people to come and cross it off their bucket list. I mean, you can see the whiteboard right there. It says bucket list, right? I'm literally working on that right now, trying to rebrand an experience that people can come and do that. People always think I was one of them. I didn't know it was possible to go and fly a helicopter. I mean, 90% of people out there have never even seen a helicopter, let alone been one, let alone flown one. So the most enjoyable thing that I get to do is I get to share that experience with people. And I really like that because there's a, you know, I I talk about all the great people that you can meet in aviation, but in any industry, you still got some bad bunch that, that they try to take advantage uh, of other people. But I think now with how the times are changing, it's the people that are trying to give back, the people that are really trying to lift up the industry that are the ones that are ultimately going to be successful and and it's kind of funny because there's a lot of great businesses out there but I truly think and I say this all the time but I think it's going to be the younger generation that lifts the aviation world up and is going to be the ones who attract younger people in Um, now we have our our idols and all the older people who have really you know blazed trails in aviation but I think it's people like us that are going to be the ones that are going to convince more people to uh, to come in the industry yeah well you know, stereotypes of jobs are real, you know, and I'm a victim of it too, you know, making decisions based off of perception, not of like real reality, you know? So, you know, I couldn't agree more, you know, like, and that's the cool thing is that I'm on a mission to document, you know, the stuff that I'm doing. And a lot of people out there are, you know, on social media, there's, there's, the way you use social media is very important. And the bad thing about social media is that you can falsify pretty much anything. You can look like you're You can live a fake life. Uh, Yeah, so you can look like you're the most badass person out there. People don't resonate with that. And so I've realized that a lot of this cool shit that I get to do, it looks like it's totally inaccessible or like people, people don't understand that that could be them. 
And so I'm on a mission to not document that in a way that's like this flowy, badass footage. You know, I want to document it real. Yeah, I'm. I want to. I'm vlogging. I'm on iPhone. Yeah, I want people to see into the tough days. You know, 90% of what I do as we sit here in this, you know, weirdly painted. It's still a super nice office. Cold I like it. <laughs> office and this little, you know, Craigslist desk, you know, with a half-assed Keurig behind me, and there's nobody around. That's, you know, everybody sees an Instagram. I'm out there doing trick shots, and I'm flying here and flying there, and like, you know, my buddies York and Bradley and all those guys, like they're doing all this cool shit. But, you know, I want people to know the reality of it. You know, and that's what I want to do. That's that's kind of like my whole mission with this is that people reach out to me and they say I want to be a pilot. I'm like, well. I'll tell you the truth. This is actually what it is. You know, I don't. I didn't have that. You know, getting in the industry. That's, so, go ahead. Sorry. So let's quit. Let's uh, quickly go over that. So when you when you go back to when you first started, what was that process like for you? Because on you know recent episodes, I've talked about the fixed wing world and what it takes to become a fixed wing pilot. What does it take to become a rotor wing pilot? Uh, more money. <laughs> <laughs> Got to get that change, dude. Then what is this, this thing? That's the number one inhibitor yeah. is the money, and I had a college savings account that was meant for college. Obviously, I, I got some scholarships, you know, to go to school, um, and you know, I had a little bit of a savings account. I had a dirt bike that I sold, you know, to throw in on it. And I was one of the fortunate ones that gave it everything I had and my parents helped me finish it, you know? Not until I spent everything that I had first. You know, I went, I went balls in 100% and they helped me finish it up. So for the, for the kids that, that maybe, you know, they can't, they can't afford it and they're like, man, I really, really wanna do that. You know, a couple episodes ago, I talked about what you could do to maybe, maybe afford it, but it was gonna take work. Uh, from your experience uh, in the many years that you've been in it, what is a possible way that somebody who is younger that wants to get into it but can't maybe afford it right away, how can they take the baby steps and put in the work in order to do it? They may not get it done in the time that you did. It may be a lot longer, but how how can they do it in their Yeah, good question. So, you know, one thing that I, I didn't know, that there's a lot of work that you could do to make progress in your ratings without touching the helicopter or the airplane. You can go and you know, study the book and take the written tests and not even get, you know, set foot in the aircraft. That's a big hurdle that actually prohibits people from taking their life. I mean, at what point in your license did you take that written test? I took it at the end. At the end, right? As well as 90% of other people because they put it off, mm -hmm. you know? To get that hurdle out of the way, that's a big step. So when you start, not only will a lot of your ground school be knocked out, I did it part 61, which is part time. A lot of that progress depends on how much homework I do. You know, if I come in and I'm not prepared, then the lesson takes longer. I end up spending more money in the long run because I'm not prepared. You go and you knock that written test out, you have to have that at some point. I had a guy back in Kentucky that got all the way through the flying, this is the easy part, and then just didn't take his written test. And it took him like another six months because he just kept putting the written test off. So my recommendation would be to go and do the written test. And then there are also a lot of scholarships out there and a lot of people that are willing to help you fund these things. Like I have a, this dude I talked to, met him over on Instagram, that um, had a career in you know doing radio shows and advertisements, things like that, and then made a transition to 
flying helicopters, and he actually, I don't know exactly the specifics, but he talked very specifically um, about his uh, luck finding uh, outside funding and scholarships. You know, I just went into it. I did not do homework. You know, I just tried it out and just kept going, you know. And so if I could give advice to myself, you know, back then I would have told myself to start doing the written tests, start going to the airports, talking to people, um, go to Heli Expo, you know, go to those mentor conferences that, you know, they have boards specifically for that. Um, like I was amazed when I, when I, when I was finished and I wanted to do the research and I went and just simply Googled flight scholarships and I came across maybe eight or so that I could have, I was finished, I couldn't apply for it now, but if I would have done the research before, I could have found eight to $10,000 worth of scholarships just out there from different banks, insurance companies, organizations, but it takes a little bit of work to do yeah. it. And that, that's the hard part <laughs> is you gotta put in that. It's not glorious to go out and call people and ask for money and talk to people, but. So through that process and now you're you're at the age where you've you've enjoyed it and how many hours do you have now? I'm about to be about 1300. Yeah. And you know, you took that love of flying uh, and all the experience and you decided to start your own little small business. Why why did you decide, you know, cuz most people you see that they see pilots and they just want to fly, they just want to do the work, you know, and they want to go home. You're a pilot and you have some crazy ideas. Why did you take this crazy idea and say, I want to start a little, yeah. little business? So honestly, man, like it started out of need. When I got my CFI and I was working for a company called the Stratus Helicopters, shout out to Steve Paquette, who was my former boss. I don't think he really likes me very much, but <laughs> um, you know, I got my commercial there, I did some work for him. And I started having these ideas, you know, like, hey, you know, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? I love people, you know. I'm not the guy that's gonna clock in and clock out and like go home and just show up the next day to fly. I like to be involved in the decisions, you know. I like to think of new and better ways to do things, you know. And I started to have those ideas with him, and I could tell that maybe he just had a different idea of the direction, uh, what he wanted, and didn't really want me to be involved with that, which is totally cool and I could feel the relationship like separating. And so I came back to Lexington, Kentucky, stopped working for him, and then my old um, Don Evans, the guy who owned that helicopter that I spoke about, that I first started training in, I just went up to him, you know, called him one day, and he knows I me, mean, obviously he knew me. I did my license in his helicopter, I was very familiar with him. He did my check ride prep, we were, we were good friends. And, uh, you know, he just liked my personality, and he could tell that, you know, I. I had an okay grasp of what I was doing and I just asked him if he'd be cool if I, you know, had some students that wanted to fly if I could use the helicopter, you know? And so I, I didn't have any money. So I started it unofficially out of need, you know? And luckily I had people that trusted me enough to go out and take their helicopters and do my own thing. And so I taught and I did my own thing there and you know, I didn't ever put a company around it, but you know, it was just what it was. And so when I got out here to Texas, um, when I started working at Bell, what I started doing was looking around for um, 
opportunities to continue to fly. I was about 350 hours, hadn't flown in a few months, and I had a buddy with an R22 back home. I had flown his R44 at the company that I used to work for, and he knew me. And I was just looking for opportunities to fly, to stay involved, you know, going to airports, talking to people, and nobody wanted to hire somebody part-time. I get it, you know, I couldn't commit. And so I was like, well, it looks like the only opportunity I have is if I were to lease a helicopter and do some private instruction on the side. So I started looking around for hangar space. That's just how I ended up crossing paths with uh, my owner here at Longhorn two years ago, who had just bought a helicopter coincidentally and needed a flight instructor, had a hard time finding one. So we just, God brought us together and I uh, said, hey, well, if you like me and I like you, let's, you know, I'll teach you. I'll be happy to, you know? And Obviously so, he liked you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it worked out, you know? He's he's supported me ever since. Like, he, uh, I taught him how to fly. And over that time, I was at Bell. People started to realize that I was a flight instructor who had always wanted to fly. And so I actually got a good amount of business from people at Bell just knowing that I, want, that I could teach and that I had an aircraft available. And so I always had this little side business going Keep on walking. There you go. And uh, and then, you know, when I did not work at Bell any longer, I was just like, oh, I've always tinkered around with this side business. I wonder what it would be like if I actually committed some time and attention to it. And so I just kind of went balls to the wall with it. And I had like eight students. Um, I was running tours, you know, down in Waco. I was doing photo and video work, you know, over that year of freelance work, I was just meeting these people. I was doing the dude perfect videos and I was flying with round three, AJ and Ben, and I was doing all this cool stuff and I went for it and it ended up working out. I got into some unmanned drone work and then over the course of the six or seven, eight months, um, Bill, who I taught, who owned the machine, liked what I was doing and getting some return on his investment. And so he ended up buying a helicopter company. And so I got into my own business because I think, first of all, because I had to. Second of all, because I could feel, and I still feel this way, you know. Thankfully, Bill gives me freedom to kind of have some creative freedom and some flexibility. I never felt like I fit into a mold, you know. I always, uh, to this day, I struggle. My biggest thing is I always struggle with, like, um, following somebody else's path, Mm -hmm. like their dream, you know. I want to have skin in the table. I want to put my... You know, I want to put my stuff on the table and say, hey, what about this? You know, I want to have skin in the game. And I always felt like I could contribute to help change and improve things. And I don't think that that is a feeling that you should hinder. And a lot of the frustrations or the setbacks that I've had have been from me being at places or with people that don't encourage that type of behavior and they want you to fit into a mold. And it's like sticking a square, you know, it's like sticking a square peg into a round hole. It just doesn't work. Yeah. You know? It's crazy because you're, the time that we're in now, and it's almost like it's it's aviation's greatest need right now is people. And, you know, if for the younger kids out there, you know, they're, they're probably hindered by what their parents want them to do. Yeah. They're probably hindered by what their friends want them to do uh, if they want to go into aviation well what the heck is aviation it's just a bunch of nerds or whatever I don't know the stereotypes out there but these kids make decisions you know I'm one of them it took me I mean for everyone out there Eli was the one that got me to start my (laughs) was I I the one you were like 
why don't you just start now? Just like, get started. Yeah. We, we got airplane everything. Um, and I guess I was, like, was, me, I was yeah. like, damn, <laughs> I need to get this started. You know, there's a whole, I could, I could probably talk about 30 minutes to deep dive into mm-hmm. why I actually wanted to fly for the longest time. I mean, this goes back years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was holding on to something and I didn't tell anybody. I was worried about what they, I was worried about what my wife would say, what my parents would say. Well, what the heck do you want to do that for? You're yeah. in business. You have a degree. Yeah. And I finally said, you know, after, after listening to some people, you know, podcasts and meeting you and other people mm-hmm. out there, I was like, screw it. You, we got to do this. Like, yeah. it's just got to be done. And I think the younger kids, they need to realize that too. Yeah. Like, don't listen to other people. If you want to do something, do it. Cause yeah, you I don't do. know what the outcome is going to be. I mean, we're sitting there, you know, eating lunch every day at Bell, and everybody's talking about like how good of a round they had at golf and their fantasy football teams. I'm sitting there like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, I don't, this is so stupid. Fuck what anybody else thinks. Like, mm-hmm. that's the thing. Hope I don't like, <laughs> your, your podcast better be censored <laughs> because like, I've realized that there are people, there's always people out there. People are really good at telling you what you should be doing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Everybody's real good at giving you criticism on what you should be doing and how you should be living your life and how you, this and that and that and like the linear progression of your career and you don't want to leave this and your insurance and your 401k and your whatever, all those, you know, fuck that. You know, like, come on. That's been like my big thing. I know I'm onto a good idea when everybody's telling me it's a bad idea. Yep. Everybody's telling me how hard it's going to be or how there's a lot of hurdles or, you know, that seems like it's a lot to take on or, you know, like, all right, fuck you. Watch me. When someone says, well, you can't do that. Well, why the fuck not? Why can't I do that? Why can't you do? Why can't you? Uh, because someone says so or it's the naysayers out there. Their haters are real. I just talked to my buddy Barrett about that. Haters are real. And there's always going to be somebody out there that says that's a stupid idea or you know that's you know why would you do that that's such a waste of money that's such a waste of time and I'm like all right well somebody you know somebody out there that's listening they are interested in aviation whether that be on the fixed wing side or the helicopter side but yeah. they know they have you know those i want to call them negative people in their circle you know whether it be their parents mm-hmm. whether it be their friends what you know with the experience that you have yeah. What can you tell those people to to get that positivity, to to get that strength, to say, you know what, screw what everybody says. This is what I want to do. Well, you know, and a lot of this comes down to mental strength. You got to be willing to say, fuck it, watch me, watch me, and you know, you just you got to be able to nut up and do it. You know, you got to take you got to take a risk. You got to take a risk and go out there and do it, because I promise you. If when you, if and when you make that decision to go out and do it, the same people who told you that that was a stupid idea will be the ones sitting there listening to you talk at lunch table, envious of what you're doing, thinking what you're doing is the coolest shit ever, wondering why they aren't doing it because they're too big a pussies to go and do it. And it's crazy because the biggest, the reason why I do what I do, and why I started this podcast, why I, why I became a pilot, I hate regret. Oh yeah, that's another thing. Go to the grave with it. You know, there's this, there's this uh, somebody out there. They they were, they were saying, you know, if you don't think you have regret right now, take a day, go volunteer at like a um, 
retirement like an old, home. a retirement home, yeah. an old folks home. Get to know some of these people and ask them one simple question. What do you regret? And if you sit in there, even at the age of 20, you know, I'm 27. You're 27? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of old, man. You are old. I'm still young, though. Yeah, we <laughs> but, listen to the same shit. I mean, shout out to Gary Vee. He tells uh, the truth, man. But it, it's crazy because I sit here, I'm like, you know, I sit back and I'm like, man, when I was 18, I should have done this. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, well, I'm 27. I can do it right now. And everybody's like, oh, man, I should have done that back then mm-hmm. and it's kind of like we got a long long time in life so why why regret anything yeah dude it's, you see just people and yeah i used to sit like in my cube at bell i mean there are people that do that kind of i respect that you know i don't want to come off as like i'm talking shit about everybody because everybody's different everybody has a different purpose you know success is not a capital s it's a little lowercase s right everybody has their own success right definition of what they're going for but you sit there and people are spending 20, 30 years just like walking through the paces. Then they just retire and disappear and nobody knows who the fuck they were. So let's get into, you know, based on that conversation, what were some of the hurdles, you know, when you started from, you know, started from the bottom and then you got your pilot's license, you started working at Bell, Mm -hmm. then you started your own uh, small business, and now uh, you help run Longhorn. What were some of the hurdles that that you've had to overcome, which now you can take with you uh, forward and and just improve your own self, your own piloting skills, Mm -hmm. but the business as well? Yeah, good question. Gosh, there's a lot. So aviation industry is uh, predominantly ran by the older generation, yeah, the aviation industry is, there's a lot at stake, so don't take this the wrong way. There, you're, you know, you can't, there's not much like gray area, like wiggle room. You either come back safely or you don't. So, you know, being, trying to be creative, trying to inject some creativity in a world that's just filled with protocol and regulation, you know. The F, well, let's rephrase that. A lot of people, the majority of people out there are doing things a certain way every single time because that's the way they're done. And a lot of the people that hold the ability to make the decisions and structure the way this business operates have been in it for 50 years and they've always done it that way. And so you come in as a young person and with all these cool ideas and nobody wants to listen to anything you say. So a big hurdle with me was since I had interest in you know, contributing on the business side, getting people that actually have the ability to make those decisions to take me seriously. So with that, then, you know, everybody's, you know, when you go through those trials and tribulations and hurdles, you obviously have to, you figured out the resources in order to make your dream and your goals, you know, into reality. So what are some resources out there that you've used uh, to help you become successful? Dude, people, like people, Number one thing, number one, always ask for help. Always. Like, people are so much more willing to help you out than what you think. As a person, you know, I know I'm a victim of this sometimes too. You walk in the hallway and you just want to keep yourself, not bother anybody, and you're kind of on your own path. And you'll be surprised how many people will go out of their way to do something for you, to help you out, if you just ask. People people miss out on so much 
because they just don't ask. They just don't ask. Like, you know, they're trying to start their own business. I would just call people and ask and admit my faults. You know, I would be like, hey, uh, I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to start this. I have no idea. You know, I'm just young. I'm, I'm trying to get it. I'm trying to learn. Could you, can I take you to coffee? And like, could I just pick your brain a little bit? Or could you show me this? Or could you show me that? Or I want to start this. I know you do it well. Like, what did you think the hurdles were for you? Like, what, if you could go back and do it again, what would you do? Like, what, what would you recommend that I do? People are so, oh, I, I um, gosh, my helicopter's broken. Can I borrow yours? Like, sure. I've gotten, <laughs> people have given me so much stuff out of the kindness of their heart just from me asking, you know? And so access to resources, you have so many People, here's another thing, go back to the regret thing. People will give you all of that stuff that they are willing to do because they also are in their own world thinking of the things that they regret and then they see somebody else and it, it plays into their favor. They are helping you get to your next milestone and they don't want to miss that opportunity to help. They don't want to regret. They don't want to, they don't want to inhibit somebody from like doing something that they didn't get a chance to do, you know? like helping you get to that next step, like that, that older guy that, you know, shares that experience with you so you don't make the same mistakes he did, you know? Just ask. Don't go out there and pretend like you know everything. Admit your ignorance and let people help you. So where can people, you know, I, I, I talk about where, where you can network, where mm -hmm. you can find these people, you know, and these resources to learn more yeah. at little to no cost. From your experience, where have you had the most success contacting and networking people uh, in order to learn from them, in order to, to partner for business, in order to get yourself educated on something that you didn't know about? Definitely. Where are the best places to, to make those connections? Okay, so I primarily use social media. I, Instagram is a major tool for I me. I preach that, it's fun. Okay, so here's the thing though. Yeah, you got people all the time up in people's DMs like, oh, you're so lucky. Like, how did you do this? Or like, you know, could you tell me how to become a pilot? Like. It takes work. Okay, so that that is, <laughs> you will get nowhere if you are sitting on your couch asking people for advice or help when you have not yourself stuck your neck out there and made some effort to move you and I go back on this like take what I just talked about asking for help before you ask for help you actually have to put your skin in the game you have to start you have to go and do and then along the way when you encounter roadblocks that's when you look to your left and look to your right and ask for help you don't ask for help from the beginning these people that are doing these things that you want help from you want advice from they're gonna look at you and if you're just sitting on your ass doing nothing, that doesn't show them at all that you are in a position to even receive help, you know? What I did is I just said, fuck everybody, I'm gonna start doing it. And I put the ball in motion. And it goes back to the one thing I actually learned in physics class is uh, kinetic friction is less than static friction, right? Once you begin to go, it's a lot easier to continue to go. Yep. The hardest part is starting it. That's a decision that you have to make. You cannot be that guy or that girl sitting in a cubicle like wishing your life was different or wanting to start something new. That's why I pushed you so hard. Like, fucking do it, man. Just do it. Do it. Try it. Sign up. Do yeah, it. Start. You're, you're like, because 
what started me was you started. You I started, started first. I was like, man. Well, if he can do it, I, gotta, I can do I gotta, it. I got to do this. You know? And this has been something I wanted to do my whole life. And I was getting information mm-hmm. how to start, where to go. And you just told me, you just got to do it. I, I can't remember exactly what you said, but you basically told me to stop waiting and just get yeah, it done. Dude, analysis get it done. paralysis. People get so stuck thinking about what they want to do before they even make a decision to do it. People stop themselves from doing things without even trying it because they're scared of failing. But you'll realize that once you begin to go, people a hundredfold are more apt because they see you moving and they see you making effort and they help you get to the next step. But if you're just standing there asking for help, oh, give me $20, you know. And it's funny that, that, that the failure, because I got through the process, I thought, oh man, everything's great. And I failed that check ride. And I was, I was embarrassed for myself. I'm like, man, I failed. Like, I have to tell my dad I failed. I have to call my wife, tell her I failed. I have to tell my instructor who had left for the, for yeah. the day, <laughs> hey, Dave, I failed my first check ride. Yeah. And everybody that I talked to, I even put it out on social media. I was like, you know what? Screw it. Because the day before, I said, I'm taking my check ride. And everybody's going to want waiting. Everybody's waiting. Yeah. Well, did you pass? Did you not? Yeah. So I put it out there. I said, I failed. And I was worried at first because I was like, man, people out there that aren't in this world, they're going to be like, oh, that sucks. You failed. Yeah. Like you didn't finish. You did all that work, spent all that money and you didn't finish. But it was amazing from the people that were in the aviation world, the business, you know, from you, you had messaged me and you're like, take it again. It's all right. (laughs) Like it happens to everybody. And I got message after message. I got a a message from, I call her, uh, I think her I can't remember her Instagram I just call her granny and she's from Canada and she had messaged me throughout my training Mm -hmm. and she's like you got it it's all right like just take it again you know everybody makes mistakes it's okay and then I got a I got an Instagram message from uh, an army pilot he's a young guy probably he's our age I think he's like 27 28 Mm -hmm. Uh, and he messaged me he goes and this was really what got me he goes you would not be surprised how many military pilots, pilots who are supposed to be some of the best pilots in the world, who fail their check rides when they're going through flight training. Mm-hmm. But what they do, they fail. Okay. They go through a week of, you know, shoring it all up and they go and retake it and pass it again. He goes, so if they can do it, you got nothing to worry about. Just because you fail doesn't mean you're not going to become a pilot. You just yeah. go back and do it again. But you did a very important thing of starting and then people start to catch on. You know, it's like a it's like a herd mentality. It's like as soon as one starts moving, people start to look at you and you know and follow and see what they can contribute to you to help. Mm-hmm. So when you make that or stick your neck out there and take that chance and do that and make the action happen, then people, without even asking, are offering their help to you. You don't you aren't asking for help anymore. They're giving it to you for free, and you don't even have to ask. People see that people will move. And then like, I'm the same way. Well, it's funny, you know, like what you're saying mm-hmm. is when people see you doing the work, they they want to help. I mean, that's kind of like you, I saw you doing the work. I saw mm-hmm. the crazy, the crazy stuff you were doing in this world. I was like, what can I do to help him do that? You know, because that shit's cool. Yeah. And it just it keeps going. I just I love that, man. That's why I, that's why I try to live by, you know. All right, so since we're on that topic, what what are the most common reasons why 
you know, because you're a flight instructor, you've seen this happen, yeah. and I know you've obviously um, had instances of yeah. when people fail, mm-hmm. like I did, I failed. Um, some of these other folks that had messaged me on Instagram, they failed, but they continued. Why do some people in this space, when they fail, they give up? Well, that's actually a hard question for me to answer. I don't know why. Because I just don't, I don't take that. I just don't understand that. You know, I have a hard time understanding why people would just stop. Because I know, I, I know you're an instructor and obviously yeah. you've had probably a few students that they fail and obviously you as an instructor, because I experienced it myself. Yeah. He was like, let's shore everything up. Let's go back out there, practice. You know, mm-hmm. we'll get your confidence back. It's cool. We'll get it. We'll get it next time. You know, even for somebody that, that fails again, you've obviously seen, is it, is it mentality? Is it, is it psychology? What causes somebody to say, it's totally mindset. I failed. It's totally I'm mindset. Done. Totally mindset. I mean, mental strength, 100%, nothing else. I mean, it's very straightforward. You you get it or you don't. You're mentally tough or you're not, you know. To be able to, like you can attest to, to deal with that, and my DPE doesn't use the word failure, he uses a setback. To deal with a setback and to take you could just as easily made the decision to be like, ah, maybe I'm not cut out for it. Mental strength. Be like, no, fuck that. I am cut out for this. I can do this. I'm doing it again. You know, whatever it takes. Yeah, it's crazy because when it happened with me, you know, my DPE told me, you know, I took this, it was early June. And he goes, I can't get you till August. I said, there's no heck in way I'm doing that. Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. I'm not waiting that long. And I was going to do whatever it took to to finish that off but I feel because I went against my own instructor's where he wanted me to wait yeah he wanted me to take it with the same DP he goes you know him you're gonna be good but if you, you're gonna risk a whole bunch of stuff if you go with somebody new I said I don't care I'm gonna do it do it now but I feel like the average person out there maybe would have waited yeah maybe so because they're scared and I've learned in aviation if you're scared that's probably something you want <laughs> something you want to get over because yeah there's inherent fear to everything, you know, in aviation, there's a increased level of, you know, uh, let's say not fear. I would say, um, you have to be very aware of the risks that you're taking. And especially as a helicopter pilot, you know, there, there's, a sometimes you can get very accustomed to, like you get used to the risk. Like you got the bull rider out there that doesn't, he rides bulls so much that he just thinks it's like normal, you know? And we talk about it all the time. Like my pilots that I'm good friends with, you know, someone that we know crashes and dies, you know, which is an unfortunate part about this industry is that there's not, you know, when something happens like that, you know, it's not like you just bump into the fire hydrant or something like that. It's usually you land safely or you don't. And something happens like that, and someone dies, and super sucky for a day. And then the next day, here we are flying helicopters again. You just got to get over it. Yeah, it's, it's like it's this like this weird. It's a new day. You know, I had a friend. You know, may he rest in peace. One of the most amazing guys that I've ever met. You know, had a motorcycle accident, and that was like, okay, I don't want a motorcycle for the rest of my life. I'm good. 
I don't care. You know, but then somebody dies in a helicopter accident, and here I am the next day flying a helicopter. So, you know. So with, you know, with these, you know, with the the friends that you have, if maybe have maybe passed with the experiences that you've had with the work that you've had to get done, mm-hmm. how have you continued to bring your values along and how do you make sure it stays in your work and that people see that in your work? Yeah, that's a good question. So, and it goes back to what we kind of talked about earlier about, um, well, let me try to think of, we have to edit this because I'm trying to think of like what we actually talked about, <laughs> about bringing values, like blazing your own trail, like having, uh, okay, injecting your creativity, yeah. right? When we were talking about one of the challenges I've had, injecting creativity into a traditional, a very traditionally, uh, you know, regulation-ridden world. You know, that is my value. My value is, my competitive advantage is that I truly care about that authenticity and about creating something unique and you know being excited about doing that new thing that nobody else is doing and so how you continue to do that i mean there are a lot of times because everybody in aviation tells you no 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 there are a lot of times that it's very very difficult to continue to think that way it comes back to mental strength like having the mental strength to know like hey i know this is a good idea I know this will work. I have to continue on this track, you know, um, and go back to the original question. What was the original question? How how do your values show up in your how work? How do my values show up in my work? So a lot of the work that I do, you have to be very intentional. You know, I bring a videographer along to document something that I'm doing. It could very easily come off as, who's this rich white guy that has this helicopter and does all this cool stuff? Like, this guy's an asshole. You know, you have to be very, very clear. You have to, you have to make sure that you're representing out there, and it's being displayed the right way that people, when they watch it, that it's very, very clear that you know your intentions are this. This is this is the reason why he is storytelling. You know, take the video out of it. Day to day life, day to day job. Every single day, I try to focus on a couple things. You know, like being positive being happy, enjoying what I'm doing, and then doing whatever I can during that day to help other people get to the next level of whatever they're doing. You know, all this is for me is the big value is creating success and value for other people. So, you know, that's a big, very, a very big goal, right? But you gotta break it down. Like on a day-to-day basis, you know, what am I seeing that I can inject my personality and my charisma and my drive to, you know, to do that unique thing into very little instances in that day-to-day life that can help somebody else get to that next step. And eventually it adds up. You know, whether I'm in the office helping, you know, somebody that come in and is flying a tour for me, or if I'm out on a video shoot, or like if I'm flying across the country, or if I'm having lunch with a kid who has always wanted to fly a helicopter, you know, giving, you know, giving them the time or asking about their lives or, you know, flying the best I can fly and getting a little twist on it. You know, anything that I can find throughout the day to inject a little of my own personality. Because it's so easy for a pilot to become cut and dry. 
you know, I want people to know me. You know, every chance I get to inject a little creativity in it, to put my Eli stamp on it, I do. And you, do you believe that that's just adding on to your competitive advantage? Because when you look out there in the world and some of these businesses that have been around yeah. for for years, uh, they're, they're kind of doing the same thing that they've been doing since they started. Yeah. But it seems like you're injecting something new and fresh into an industry that hasn't seen it before and that's why you do get those naysayers do you see that adding to your to your competitive advantage in the future yeah i mean i realize that no matter what i do somebody's gonna have a problem with it you know that's just the re- i could go out there and you know take a picture with the easter bunny and post it and somebody would Bitch oh, about it. Yeah, like it, does, it doesn't matter. Like anything that you do, somebody's gonna have a problem with it. And so, like, uh, ask me a question again. Uh, well, the question just was, do you believe you know some of the the new things that you're doing, that you're trying, that you're trying to bring fresh ideas, that even though you're getting some of that pushback from people that mm-hmm. maybe in the industry that are like, well, what the heck is this kid doing? Yeah. Do you feel that's adding on to your competitive advantage for the future? Absolutely. So this is a service-based industry. This is not a product-based. So like my product, there is no product to sell. I can't patent like flight instruction. I can't patent, you know, flying a tour or something. So people choose you based off of the level of service you provide. And so when people think of experiences in helicopter, or when people think of learning how to fly a helicopter, or when people think of going somewhere in a helicopter, or w- whatever, right? I am the guy they call. You know, I like, that's my goal. I, you know, and I have, you know, my clients and my customers become friends. Every customer of mine essentially becomes a friend of mine that I maintain relationships with because I like to serve them. You know, that's what it is about. So absolutely, my competitive advantage is that I genuinely care about the people that I work with. And so with these values and with these these ideas uh, and the resources that you've been able to kind of round up, you know, and I kind of want to give you a little bit of a, an opportunity to do a little jabbing for the people out there. What, how are you taking all these values and these creative, creative ideas and what are you doing at Longhorn to implement that, whether they be now or maybe some crazy things that you got in the future? Yeah, no doubt. So Longhorn, you know, for me, it's, okay, so as a millennial, quote unquote, you know, taking this sense of creativity and then attaching yourself to a company or a brand and matching those things up. Very oftentimes they don't sync up. You know, my the owner of this company has been super supportive of us and has come in and just given us the creative freedom to wrap it in a new package and bow. And so here at Longhorn, you know, I'm working every single day to rebrand all of the types of experiences, services, and things that we can provide, whether that be flight instruction, you know, from zero to hero, we can offer everything. Uh, tour, uh, ranch work, real estate work, you know, uh, construction work, utility work, charter work, whatever it may be. And just giving a little twist on it. You know, I don't want to be known personally as a one and done service provider. So here at Longhorn, you know, it is a family. You know, my sole focus and what I try to share with the people that I work with here at Longhorn Helicopters is that the customers are our family. 
So when they, you know, it's very imperative. When you go out on a job and you meet that client, it flying is, flying the helicopter is assumed. You need to put that, that's gonna be done correctly. You need to focus on developing a relationship with the client. And one thing that you did a few months ago, I think it was a few months ago, man, it, it, I loved it, is you created an event that's never been seen before in the Dallas area. The Love is in the, the, love is in the Air event. Yeah. And that was one of those events that ever since you started talking, man, I was all over. And I wanted to make sure that that event was as big of a success as possible, mm. and that's why I volunteered my time. But why, why do you think that was so successful? You know, yes, it was different. Yes, it was creative. But the amount of people that showed up yeah. for that, that experience was nuts. Yeah, was nuts. And it's like, man, you know, even your competitors took notice of that. And they obviously tried to do certain things uh, to maybe do it themselves. But you did something that I don't think anybody else could could replicate so what's the success from that event that you're gonna take now on into the future yeah so that that's a good that's a good uh, a good point because I recall sitting in my office like after a slow winter season like wondering what it is that we were gonna do and I look back on the time that I freelanced and how uh, a lot of the opportunities came from a few of the creative people that I helped inject my resources into to help them gain success and then how jobs and work and relationships stemmed from that you know so when I was looking at it you know people are always hitting you up for free shit like everybody wants to fly and you know the bad part about the helicopter industry is that it cost me an arm and a leg to turn the helicopter on and go buzz it around so you pay me with photos you better give me your firstborn child too <laughs> you know, it just doesn't work like that and so it's a really hard trade. It is a very hard trade, right? And so I had a guy that was hitting me up a while about flying, taking photos. He makes cool shit. He's a really good photographer. And, you know, the opportunity just never really presented itself. And then, um, you know, so DTX Street, my buddy Adam uh, Lamblin, he's a good dude. Uh, Adam and Missy both, they run a street, uh, like an urban photography, kind of like a gathering of Creative Minds account in Dallas. And so I, I kind of took watch over a course of a year. I watched and, you know, see, I saw what he developed. And he, you know, was very successful in hosting these big meetups, had a very good reach with the creative community. And so I just had an idea that I thought would be super fun myself that I would go and enjoy. And I called him and saw if he thought it might be a cool opportunity to try to. It was purely just something fun that I thought would be cool and seeing if he could be a part of it. And so when I started making those calls, you know, he thought it was a great idea. Boom, he could do it. He wanted to partner together and make it happen. You know, I had the resources, he had the connections, he could create the content around it. It'd be super, super chill. It'd be a lot of fun. And so we just started going from there. And as soon as I started calling people about it, it was just an original idea and people started attaching themselves to it. And so the interesting thing about that was as I started to develop those plans for that event, there were so many people out there that were telling me, oh, I don't know if that's going to work. Like, that seems like an awful lot. That's a stretch. You know, Instagram's pointless. You can't market on Instagram. Like, no one's going to show up. It caught the TV's attention. <laughs> right? And then so we started just, I said, I don't know the fuck what you think. 
I think it's fun. I would do it. So I don't care if one person shows up or a million people show up. And so we just did it because we thought it would be fun. And sure enough, we canceled the event three times and like because of weather, of course, yeah, because of weather, yeah. and you know, something we weather. couldn't control. I mean, the first day we had it, it's like eighty-five and sunny in Texas, and then like the next weekend, it's uh, we had severe icing. Our blades were icing on the ramp. You know, total act of God. You know, whatever. And then we rescheduled it multiple times. Solely marketed it on Instagram. Invested zero dollars in getting the word out, and like eight hundred people showed up. It was overwhelming. And looking back on it, it was something that I just purely thought would be a fun time. I would go to it. How do I give people opportunities to do things that I think are fun? And I mean, it was the amount of people. I mean, even as a volunteer who was there just helping out, trying mm-hmm. to keep everything safe, being in the industry, that's number one. Yeah. And because it was the first time, I mean, we had to make sure everything was safe. But the amount of people that were there mm-hmm. was uh, I went down to the first level. You know, everybody's got to take a little elevator up. Yeah. And the line that was out there waiting to get in, I was like, this obviously has never been done or ever been thought about. Yeah, dude, it was nice. I mean, yeah, it was nice. And, you know, Adam and Missy were huge in getting all those people to show up. But there are people from everywhere. And they were from everywhere. People, I, I was talking to somebody from Houston. Somebody yeah. from Houston came I get, up. I got DMs of people like come, flying in. I had a buddy flying from Georgia for it. You know, I had people coming in from different states, like camping out. It was unreal. And so looking back on it, you know, I pitched the idea to one guy when I first started. And he was like, yeah, that'll never work. That's kind of dumb. Seems like a bit of a stretch, Eli. And I was like, all right, well, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyways. And we made it happen. You know, I spoke it into existence. Well, people take notice of that. And, and then when you start doing it and people want to be a part of it and they try to help you, you know, I'm cool with that. But you got to be mentally tough enough to take criticism, gauge it, put, you know, the advice you want over here, the advice you don't want over there and make a decision and go for it. You know, if you sit there and live your life based off of what everybody else thinks about what you should be doing, you'll literally just be in a corner sucking your thumb. So good luck. So talking uh, about those events, what, and I don't know if you can, can share a little bit, but what does, what does Eli and Longhorn have up their sleeves here in the future for the, uh, the DFW Metroplex? So Longhorn, like we're killing it right now. I mean, it's like I said, traditional industry. We're trying to come in with new fresh face and just take a whole new it's approach radically different. to the services that we offer. You know, we still have a fully functioning flight academy, you know, uh, helicopter flight training is uh, tough to get into, but we're trying to make our best effort to, um, repackage our offerings the people, uh, the way people want them, you know, education in uh, modern society, you know, beyond that, our commercial offerings, you know, the tourism industry and the experience industry. I'm a firm believer that people right now in this day and age are investing, uh, more time and resources into trying to take advantage of things so they don't regret not trying things. So what I'm doing at Longhorn is trying to repackage all of my services, not just a typical tour, but a bucket list experience. I want you to come knowing that you will get a once in a lifetime experience. You come to DFW, you better call me because I'm going to make this awesome. I don't want to give you the typical 
you know, cookie cutter. Oh, let's go around downtown. Oh, yeah. okay, there's the stadium. No. Uh, okay, let's go back. We're so done. I can assure you that there will be some really cool things offered and I wanna market it differently. You know, I'm not trying to be a conventional marketer where I make this, you know, cool video and I put it out there and um, you wanna answer that? Mm, no. Okay. She can wait. <laughs> we can cut that out. <laughs> she can wait. Um, but, you know, like I said, on a personal side, documenting things in a real way where I'm giving people insight into what it looks like on a daily basis, I'm doing that on the company side too. You know, I want people to look at Longhorn and see that we are people. We are not robots. We are not, you know, this huge corporation that doesn't, you know, understand how to get in touch with people. You know, I want people to know us as a family. And so all the services that we're offering, we're putting a lot of uh, effort into the customer experience side. You know, when you walk in that door, I want it to immediately feel like this is the place I should be. You know, this is going to be awesome. That's what I'm doing at Longhorn. Cool. All right. So before we before we we kind of wrap things up, I, I want to start this lightning round questions, quick questions that are super random, but that people will understand maybe more uh, about who you are because you've talked about you've talked about the experiences you've had you, you, you've talked about who who helped you get to where you are now and all the different things uh, that you've done but we're gonna learn really uh, really is who who is Eli who is Eli the yeah, heli guy who is Eli the heli guy alright question number one everyone in aviation has their own quirks so on a scale of one to ten, how weird are you? Oh, <laughs> I would say I'm like a six or seven. I talk to myself. I try to drop my voice as many octaves as possible, and I have to chew gum all the time. <laughs> See, I do that all the time. My wife hates it. Yeah. Uh, what is your favorite word? Ooh, spaghetti. That's your favorite word? I guess. That's the first thing I think of. Well, that's weird because the next question is, what is your favorite food? Spaghetti. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love the most? The turpin start. Oh, that's easy. Uh, yeah, I was about to say that. Uh, it makes me drool. Uh, <laughs> there's something about that clicking, too. Uh, that gets me all the it's time. It's so good. <laughs> uh, what's the most important thing you carry with you on every flight? An extra stick of gum. Not your cell phone, not your iPad, an extra stick of gum. Okay, you want a real answer? The iPad is the essential tool. It's the best. But the stick of gum is pretty, pretty gum. darn important. Yeah. Sunglasses. <laughs> Seriously, sunglasses. If you don't carry sunglasses, you're fucked. If you had the opportunity to, to be in another pro uh, profession other than the one that you're in right now, which one would you attempt? Is being an astronaut still in aviation? That's a good question. I don't know. Because I would definitely be an astronaut. An astronaut? Yeah. You think you could pass everything? Absolutely. I could be an astronaut. <laughs> uh, oh, here's a good one. What are you not very good at? Oh, gosh. I'm not good at a lot of stuff. Uh, I'll be the first one to admit it, too. I'm not very good at planning. Planning? Yeah. I think I'm right there with you, too. Uh, what is something that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on? There's got to be something out there that you tell people and they're like, nah, 
nah. And you're like, it's true, it's true. Mm, gosh, that's a hard one. That can't be a lightning round question. <laughs> okay, come back to me on that one. All right. Uh, what is your biggest pet peeve in aviation? Biggest pet peeve in aviation is when people sit on the radio and like when they're making radio calls and they just keep talking forever and they keep the line open. Biggest pet peeve. And then I hope you're never in the air when I'm up there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question number 10, but we're going to go back to number eight. Question number 10, if you could fly anything, what would you fly in? Oh, gosh. The space shuttle. Space shuttle still? Yeah. Dude, that would be so sick. So not a rocket, the actual shuttle itself. The shuttle. The shuttle. Yeah. Man, I'm still pissed that they did away with that. That was the best program in the world. That would be super cool. All right, so we're going to go back to number eight. What is something that you tell people that's true that almost nobody agrees with you on? You could say the sky's blue and everybody's like, no, no, it's not. Yeah, the sky's blue. There's got to be something. That's a tough question because everybody agrees with me because I'm so easy to agree with. Um I have to change this question for that's a tough my one. other guests now. That's a really maybe, tough That's one. maybe going to have to be a, a normal question and not a lightning round yeah. question. Uh, maybe we'll switch the question up a little bit. Okay. How about what has been one thing that you tell people um, that maybe they don't believe? They're maybe like you, you tell somebody something and they're like, really? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I always encourage people to do it now rather than later, which is in any in anything. It's the worst financial advice. I say go buy a credit card, go get a credit card, and just swipe it. Figure it out later. You know, like with you, go for it, send it, do it right now. You hate your job, fucking quit right now. Yeah, it's weird. You know, just like the uh, like the pilots. Nobody, you, everybody's like, like that's, just that's, get that's terrible advice. That's like, terrible advice. Done. I'm like, all right, well, tweet your zone. You know. Terrible advice. I, I have a few buddies that tell me that all the time who are both now taking my advice in some sense. I'm not going to name drop, <laughs> but like, I hate my job. I want to do this. I'm like, well, fucking quit. Yeah. Do it right now. And they're like, no, that's not, that's not good advice. Like, I need to ride it out and save, you know. Okay, whatever. Well, you suck. Whatever. You got to do what makes yeah. you happy. I, yeah. I don't give very logical advice. That's one thing. Well, the mo- the best but advice isn't necessarily it's logical. It's just true and practical. Do it. All right. So that's lightning round. I think I'm going to have to change up question number eight uh, for other guests. Um, and now we're going to go into some final, some final questions. Mm-hmm. And basically what we're going to do is I'm going to ask you a question and then you're going to be able to ask me a question back. Okay. So the question that I'm going to ask you is what do you, when you get older okay. and you're making all these strides uh, in aviation and doing all these new cool things, what do you want people to remember you for or as? Yeah, good question. So I think that my success will be gauged off of the amount of people who become my lifelong friends through using the helicopter as a vessel. You know, like, if I go out there and get a job where I save lives every day, you know, saving lives is the good part, but I'm using the helicopter to do it. So like, 
you could say, the Rolodex of people that I have in my phone book that I can call and be like, I know a guy, I know a guy. You know, I wanna be that guy that people say, I know a guy. That's that's what I'm going after here, so. And doing that through almost the thought of, you know, it's almost legacy over currency, right? Doing things, yeah. doing Money things comes right. and goes. Like, yeah. Talk to people and they're like, I was in this field and I had a lot of money and now I'm not, and now I'm broke. You know, I'm like, eh, well. It's, I mean, it's, I think it's super dumb. Like, okay, I gotta admit, I like having a cool car and like doing this and like doing that. You so, are? Yeah, what's up? Oh. <laughs> Brett, I'm doing a podcast. Pause it, baby. What up, boy? <laughs> All right, we're back. We had a nice little interruption, but we're, uh, let's finish this off. I think we're, we ended off that you were going to uh, to ask me a question because you just answered how you wanted people mm. to uh, to remember. So I'm gonna I'm going to allow you to to ask the host a question before we wrap this up. Yeah. Question to you is when you're gonna quit your job and start flying. <laughs> I'm like, uh, man, that's I, I love I love flying, but you know what, what's crazy is I love I love business too, and I honestly I don't know how people just fly. I don't think I could do that. I really don't. We have, you know, at Bell, we have a lot of, we have a lot of people that, uh, like pilots there, they, they fly and they love it, mm-hmm. and that's all they do. I don't know, it, you know, it's like, it's such a specialty gig. I love the business side mm-hmm. of aviation. So what, I, do you, what do you want to get into now that you have your pilot's license? What do you think you'll transition your career into? You know, I love, I love sales. I love because in sales you can not only fly your customers, but you get to do the business side. You get to do the negotiation. You get to, um, you get to do the financing part of it. I mean, you get to do all the business side of it, not just the flying. And you get to interact with your customer on a level that other people don't. I mean, mm-hmm. you are the front side of the business. There's something about me because my whole past at Textron was I was on the back side of the business. I didn't like it. That's not where I saw my my future. I saw my future in the front end, being responsible for the financial flow coming through. But there's still that side of you that loves flying. And what the greatest part about aviation sales or you know any front end of an aviation business is the flying portion of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you look at you know a lot of our RSMs at Bell. I mean, they're pilots and, and they get to fly. So I don't know when I'm going to get my pilot's license for rotor wing but i know i know a certain instructor that might be might be willing to train me if i want to (laughs) um might know a guy might know a guy but i love i love that you know for those guys that they can fly and be pilots but they can sell and be businessmen at -hmm. the same time yeah and i think it's I don't want to specialize in one certain thing. And I feel like with pilots, they specialize in flying. Yeah. I love being able to bring two parts, you know, two loves together, uh, for one, you know, my boss always asked me to, so so what do you want to do? You know, you want to move up. What do you want to move up and do? I'm like, well, I really like the sales side. I really, really do. Uh, so we'll, we'll see what comes, uh, what comes in the future. And, uh, I don't know. I'll have to, to keep, uh, to keep your tabs up on that one yeah so call on the fly guy call. <laughs> i can't i can't copy your name um all right well i'm going to i'm going to ask you 
two more questions. One, I think, is going to be a really, really good personal one okay. uh, for you. And then one, uh, the last one that you're going to ask is going to be for anybody in the audience. Hopefully we get, uh, you know, we get somebody to reply back. Uh, so this question, this is going to be a little hard for you. Oh but if you could send a message to yourself 10 years ago, what would you tell the much younger Eli? Yeah, so 10 years ago, I'd have been 15 years old. Right, so that's the joy about Super being young. young guy, right? Um, so let me just twist it a little bit and think of like, you know, when I first started, what I wish I would have, what I what I could tell myself when I first started, and it can stretch back ten years, whatever. But the value of patience, um, not being in a hurry, you know, we have so much pressure on us our generation, uh, this is rat race. Right? This is rat race to like get there, get the cheese before the person next to you gets it, you know? And the more I'm in it and the more I do it, the more I fly, the more I create, the more I do all the stuff, I realize that like, what am I in a hurry for? Like, what am I racing to get towards, you know? So if I could look back and tell myself something, you know, take more time to be more thorough. You know, don't be, don't be in a hurry. You know, don't be in a hurry because sometimes you miss things. And that, as a young person who is just starting, your ability to be thorough and not be quick goes further beneficial-wise than what I had experienced. Yeah, there are times that I wish that I would have taken more time to, you know, complete it 100% instead of 99 yeah, it's, it's crazy that you say that because in today's, especially in today's social world, we were talking so much about social media and how it's helped us, you know, as aviators, but it has caused the younger generation to want to get somewhere so quick. Yeah. Get rich tomorrow. Get, get girls tomorrow. Get the best internship or job tomorrow. Yeah. It's like, that's not how it works. That's just not how it works. It's, it's all about patience, taking your time, mm -hmm. doing things right because you got a long life. I literally shoveled shit after college with a bachelor's degree for a year. I mean, I, w I went into a field that I thought I was so passionate about and I was like, man, this is really cool because I was doing it in one area, the military, working on government planes mm -hmm. and then I went to the corporate side learned after two years. I said, yeah. this isn't what I want to do for the rest yeah, of my life. Yeah, I can't even count on both my hands how many times I get a call from someone that I worked with like over a year ago. You know, we as young people are in such a hurry that we think if someone doesn't call us back within four days, they've forgotten about us. And people call me after a year. I'll work on relationships and I'll work on deals for a year. And then something will happen. The value of patience. You know, that's what I would teach myself. Yeah, it's crazy because just in aviation alone and for any aviator, I think any aviator can attest that you must have patience in order to be able to The only to way to get the time is to get the time. Yep. And time takes time. So put the time in, you know? It's like, <laughs> yeah. You can't Nothing like- Nothing comes easy here. Yeah, yeah, Nothing an hour is an easy. hour no matter how much you splice it up. So, you know, 1,200 hours takes 1,200 hours. And that's a long time. You, you can't get 1,200 get hours and fly 300, you know? So you gotta just be able to put the time in. Be okay with it taking time. All right, so the last question that we're going to allow you uh, to ask is one that we want to ask to the audience. So mm -hmm. what do you want to 
what's a question that you'd like to to ask people out there well you know per- personally I, I think I have two questions you know one thing that uh, if anybody out there by the off chance that anyone out there listening to this knows me or watches my stuff you know I want I'm curious to see what people want like what what type of content people want to see made or created or what people want to be able to resonate with you know so and I'm about to kind of launch a personal campaign to see what people are thinking out there to get some real feedback on what people want to see more of Mm -hmm. and on the other side of that is you know looking back on the on the um, experience I had growing up in the industry with zero connections zero introductions you know just trucking through it fumbling through it meeting people along the way getting myself to that thousand hour mark you know with the help of other people sort of you know I freelanced a lot of that you know what I would ask other people out there is are there more people out there you know that went through a similar experience that I did just figuring it out along the way and what can we do as a group to get together to create opportunities for people like you that are just starting to have those connections and resources to come ask I want people you know like I have people reach out to me on social media that meet up with me at conferences and stuff and I get to talk to and share my experiences with and in some way may help shape their decision making or help them get answers to questions that I never got help answering so if there's anybody out there that has similar experiences that I did or maybe has a problem with something I said then Something we come together on and create opportunities for people coming up behind us. So where where can people where can people find you to 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 uh, answer your two questions? That yeah, you just best asked? spot Instagram. I think it's huge. Uh, my tag is at Eli underscore the Heli guy. Very easy, very catchy. Uh, give me a follow on there. Reach out to me. I love I love Instagram. I love creating new stuff. A lot of the projects that I'm gonna be doing and documenting are gonna be pretty much solely released on Instagram and the new Instagram TV. A lot of the vlogs and uh, projects I'm working on have uh, or will have releases specifically designed for Instagram TV. So create a lot of content on there, hit me up on there. Also Longhorn Helicopters, um, at Longhorn Helicopters, just one big word. And uh, there you can follow the company's journey and I hope that, you know, my personal profile matches up with the type of vibe that the company represents and vice versa. So awesome. Well, guys, that's all we have uh, have for you today on the first episode of the Ask the Av Geek show. We hope you enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed it, too. You yeah. Know, thanks for, the for first, having me uh, on. For the first uh, the first go around uh, for it. And guys, stay tuned as we go through this. We're hopefully going to add some more people uh, onto the Ask the Av Geek show. So stay tuned and uh, we'll see what we got. So everybody take care uh, and we'll see you next time on the Ask the Av Geek show. Take care.